in thought and in mind and in spirit and in soul that we may hear from you, Lord. In Jesus, we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Amen. Thank you all so much for leading us this morning. If you have a copy of God's word, will you find Colossians chapter 3, verse 16? The Bible calls us to give honor to those whom honor is due. This past weekend, we've been celebrating Veterans Day. And at this time, I would like to ask all of those who have served in our military, those who are veterans, would you please stand that we might show you honor this morning? Amen. Thank you so much for your service to our country. This morning, we are continuing our series in the book of Colossians. In this short letter, Paul's writing to a young church there in Turkey. And he's writing to this young church because there's a problem. And the problem in the church is there's this thing called the Colossian heresy. And the Colossian heresy taught that Jesus was a great start, but if you really wanted to be a deep person, if you wanted to become a mature person, you needed to move beyond Jesus into some other spiritual activities. And what Paul is writing to them and telling them is, no, the way you become a mature person, the way you become all that you were meant to be, is not by moving beyond Jesus, but deeper into Jesus. And so he's been writing to them to tell them they need to go deeper in Christ. He wants them to know that if you want to become who God made you to be, the only way is by going deeper in Jesus. So in the first two chapters in Colossians, Paul writes and tells them who Jesus is and what he's done, and that the only way that they can grow is deeper in him. Then in chapters 3, he's going to tell them how do they become the person that God wants them to be. Let me ask you a question very directly this morning. Are you satisfied with where you are spiritually, or do you want to continue to grow and become the person that God wants you to be? Do you want to continue to grow this morning? If so, then chapters 3 and 4 are for you. And as you come to chapter 3 in the book of Colossians, as we've seen over the last few weeks, Paul begins to tell us, how do we become the person that God made us to be? Well, first, he gives us this command. We need to set our minds on the things above. Then last week we saw how he told us we need to put on the right spiritual clothes. We need to put on the character of Christ, compassion and humility and gentleness. And this week he's going to tell us if you want to become the person that God created you to be, he's going to tell us to do something we might not expect. He says if you want to become the person that God made you to be, you've got to sing. Sing. That's what he calls us to do. Did you know that the command to sing is one of the most often quoted commands in all of Scripture? Over 50 times, God tells us to sing. But it might be the most ignored command in all of the Bible. We are commanded to sing. Let's look at Colossians 3 and see what Paul has to say to us this morning. The Word of God says, Let the Word of Christ dwell richly among you, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This is the passage we'll look at this morning, and we'll look at it line by line. 
But let, let me give you a principle this morning that I think will help us understand this text. When you're cooking, there are some ingredients that you can't make a food without. If you're going to make chocolate chip cookies, you can't do it without chocolate chips. If you're going to have mac and cheese, you can't have mac and cheese without mac and cheese, right? You can't have a peanut butter and jelly without peanut butter and jelly. You can't have omelets without eggs. There are some ingredients that are just essential to making certain recipes. When I was in college, a buddy and I decided one night we would run to Burger King, and we went to Burger King, and uh, we both ordered a Whopper. And through the drive-thru, the lady came back and said, we're out of those. I'm like, that's your thing. I said, well, what kind of hamburgers do you have? She said, we're actually out of all hamburgers. It's Burger King. This would be like KFC not having chicken. What are we doing here? You see, there's some essential things you have to have. At Burger King, if you don't have burgers, I don't know what you are. Dairy Queen, I guess. But, but here's the thing. If you, there are some ingredients that are essential to certain recipes and essential to certain things. Here's what I want you to know this morning. Here's our big idea. Worship through singing is a key ingredient, an essential ingredient. In your spiritual growth. Worship through singing is a key essential ingredient in your spiritual growth. You can have a lot of good ingredients that will help you grow spiritually, but you can't complete the recipe without worship through singing. So this morning, as we come to our text, I want us to see four aspects of worship and why it's an essential ingredient to your own spiritual growth. First, I want us to notice the goal of worship. I want us to know the goal of worship. Obviously, one of the goals of worship is to give God praise because he deserves it. God deserves to be praised, amen? But Paul is going to give us another goal here in our text. and has to do with your spiritual growth. Look, look, at the, look at our verse together. It begins by saying, Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. Let's break this down. It says the word of Christ. What is that? That is the scriptures, the Old and the New Testament. So the goal here of worship is to have the word of God dwell richly among you. Well, what does it mean for the word of God to dwell in you? John says in John 1 that Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us. What does the word dwell mean? To make your home somewhere. And what he's saying is he wants the word of God to make its home in you. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that a close family member is coming to stay with you for two weeks. Two weeks. The first night they get there, they get all of their stuff, they start getting unpacked, and you say to them, I want you to make yourself at home. What does that mean? It means that you want them to feel like this house is their house, and if there's something in the refrigerator that they want, they can have it. If they um, want to watch their favorite show on television, that's great. They can set stuff up in the guest room the way they want. You want them to be at home in your home. Contrast that with the delivery guy. All right, delivery guy comes up, he buzzes, and he 
goes away. It would be a little strange if the delivery guy came in, got something out of your fridge, put on his favorite television show. That would not be a normal thing. So think about the two. Someone who comes to make their home, they, they make themselves at home in your home, versus the guy who comes, delivers a package, and leaves. What is Paul saying here? He says, I want, as you sing, for the Word of God, the Bible, the Old and New Testament, to come live in your soul and make its home there, not just come like the delivery guy on Sunday morning, get a few scriptures, and then leave again. He wants the Word of God to make its home in you. So that's the goal here, is for the Word of God to dwell in us. So how do we keep the Bible from going in one ear and out the other? He tells us through singing. You see, there's a connection that God has designed from our lips to our hearts. This is actually quite incredible. This morning, if I did a survey, I'm almost 100% sure that if I quoted certain song lyrics that we sing, you could finish them. I have decided to follow Jesus. You got it, right? I would guess that many of us know more lyrics to hymns and worship songs than we do often have Bible verses memorized. And I think there's a reason for that. Because there is a, a principle that God has designed into the universe and into the creation of humanity is that there's a principle of the lip to soul principle lip to heart as we put the truths of god on our lips that's how they work their way into our soul we sing them over and over and it begins to be felt deep in our soul as we sing i sought the lord and he answered that's why i trust him that goes from just an intellectual activity of oh god's trustworthy to something deep in the soul as we sing it goes from our lips and it works its way into our hearts and paul says that the word is to dwell how richly brothers and sisters we have a crisis in our world of biblical illiteracy there are so many people who do not know the story of the bible the truths of god and there are a lot of ways we can address that problem but one of the ways we must address the problem of biblical illiteracy is we must sing biblically rich songs that work the biblical truths from our heads, from our lips, down into our hearts. We must sing biblically rich songs. Here's how one worship leader said it, Matt Redman. He said this, he said, worship songs can't just be rooted in culture. They won't be deep enough. They have to be rooted in scripture this is why here at first baptist we want to sing songs that are not just biblically sound we want them to be biblically sound but more than that we want them to be biblically rich because what we sing are, is working into our hearts and one of the ways we learn the bible better is by singing because every time we sing one of the things that god wants to do this morning, as we sang and as we will sing here in a few moments later, he wants to take his truth that is in the scriptures and he wants to press it, not just into your mind, but he, he wants that, but down into your very soul. And singing does that. So the goal of worship is not just to have a great experience, 
or hear great music or to relive the past. It's not just to get ready for the sermon. We sing because God wants to work his word deeper into our hearts. That's one of the goals of worship. That's number one. Number two, we will see the audience of worship. Audience of worship. Often we think of the audience of worship as God, and he obviously is. And sometimes we even use a phrase, we'll say, we have an audience of one. But here in this text, we see that our audience is more than just an audience of one. There's actually another audience. Let's read. It says, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing who? One another. Let's think about it like this. In worship, we have a vertical audience. God himself. But we also have a horizontal aspect to our worship where we are singing to one another. Not to impress one another, but to encourage one another, teach one another, admonish one another. We have another audience here in one another. Paul has in mind here corporate worship. Think of worship in two ways. Personal, private worship. That's when you worship when you're in the car. You're singing in the car. Now, some of y'all sing louder in the car than you do at church because there's no one else around, right? I feel that. But you have private, personal worship when you're in the car, when you're alone. That's great. But I want you to know, corporate worship is when we gather weekly to gather up our worship together, and we take it, and the, the, the 300 people in this room gather their worship up, and we give it to God all as the people of God. We gather up our worship together. That's corporate worship. And I want you to know that corporate worship is essential for your spiritual growth. It's a key ingredient. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine that you go to Neyland Stadium. All right, if you are not a fan of Tennessee, substitute your favorite stadium, Bryant-Denny or whatever it is, all right? But imagine you go to Neyland Stadium for a football game. And you get there, and the football game is happening like normal but you're the only person in the stands. And you've been there before, so you know the cheers. And you root for your team all alone in the stands with as much energy as you can muster. You even sing Rocky Top at the top of your lungs. But as hard as you try to do those chants you've done with thousands, to sing Rocky Top by yourself. As much as you try to do it on your own, you say, there's something missing. There's an energy that was here that's no longer here. There was an excitement that was here that's no longer here. Why? Because, you see, when we are in community together, focused on something, there's an energy that's not there when we are alone. There's an excitement that's there that we don't have when we are alone. And you see, when we come together as the people of God, it energizes and encourages us in a way that we can't have when we're alone. Here's how Diedrich Bonhoeffer puts it. He says, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. This morning, I want you to know that you have a ministry that you are doing right now. You have the ministry of showing up and being here and having your presence be by the person next to you. It's encouraging. 
one another. So this morning, I want you to know that attending and participating in corporate worship is essential for spiritual growth. This is why I have a love-hate relationship with the live stream. Um, everyone who's watching on live stream, I love you. I want you to know that. But it's a love-hate relationship because it is so great to have a live stream for when people are sick, when people are out of town, when people are homebound. It's so great for them to be a part of what God is doing here, even through the live stream. But brothers and sisters, the live stream should never function as a substitute for attending and participating in corporate worship. God has not designed us to be a digital people. He's designed us to be with one another, lifting our praises to one another, encouraging one another, seeing one another, smiling at one another. There's an energy that is in the people of God that's not the same when you are alone at Neyland Stadium. So I want to encourage you this morning, let's make gathering and worshiping together a priority because the audience Yes, is God, but we also have a purpose to encourage one another as we lift up our voices and as we sing beside one another. That's number two. Number three, Paul's going to tell us the content of worship. The content of worship. He continues in our verse, through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Paul gives us three categories that the early church was to use to order their worship services. And we have to interpret these terms in the first century context in which Paul wrote them. And one of the things you'll see is that from the beginning, the early church had a variety of things that they sung. What does Paul tell them to sing? He tells them to sing the Psalms. This is easy to understand. This is the Old Testament songbook we have in our Old Testament. The Psalms, they were to sing them. I remember growing up, when I was 10 years old, a song came out called Better Is One Day. Do y'all remember this song, Better Is One Day? And so they were singing, Better Is One Day in Your House Than a Thousand Elsewhere. And I thought, man, what a beautiful lyric. Better is one day in the house of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. Someone is poetic, they're sitting around. Who can just sit around and think of these things? And then I read my Bible and found out it was actually just he had ripped off Psalm 84. <laughs> I was less impressed. But you know, I actually knew the song before I knew the psalm because it had taught it to me. We often sing like songs like this today. Today, we sang, and Todd led us in the song that was inspired by a psalm, that chorus from Psalm 34. We sing the song 10,000 Reasons, and that song comes from Psalm 103. We continue to sing songs today. Calvin and Lucy and I like to listen to this album called The Seed Lullabies, and it is uh, scripture songs to music and to a lullaby tune. And there's this song. It says, Be still and know that I am God, and I will exalt myself among the nations. And here's what happens. They often ask that we listen to that when they go to bed. And before long, they listen to be still and know, and they are being still and sleeping. It's awesome. 
But one of the things that I love about it is as they listen to that, the word of God, the Psalms themselves are soaking into their souls. We love to sing Psalms. But he gives another category. He says we're to sing hymns. And this one's hard for modern readers to understand because when we think of hymns, we think of songs written in the 18th, 19th, or 20th century, often in a traditional style, and that's not what this is talking about. Though I want to say, I think there is great value in our hymns. We, I, I long for my kids to know the hymns, the great, beautiful hymns of the faith. And as your pastor, I want all of our kids to know and love hymns. That's an incredible thing. This is why I'm so excited when often people will take these hymns that we love and these texts that we love and they, they will redo them and reset them for a new generation that these hymns can live on for years to come. And I think knowing hymns is a valuable thing to pass from one generation to another. I'm so thankful for those hymns. I love them. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a particular thing in the first century. Now, let's think about this for a moment. In the first century, no one had ever sung Amazing Grace, right? That was written way later. So what were the hymns they were singing? Well, a hymn in this ancient context had a very specific meaning. Let me give you a quote here. Hymn was a term that would have been especially familiar to the Gentiles. Psalms to the Jews, hymns to the Gentiles. In the Greek and Roman empires, Leading up to the time of the New Testament, hymns were sung in praise of heroes and gods. You can imagine someone writing a hymn to Odysseus. People would celebrate the military victories of great generals and exalt the false gods of mythology and hymns. But as the gospel swept across the known world, the church transformed the hymn into a song in praise to the one true A hymn was a song of victory, telling of all that Jesus has done and how he's so much greater than Zeus or Hercules or any of the ancient mythological gods. It's a song of victory. I think about lyrics like this, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever, one day he's coming, oh glorious day. A victory song. The early Christians sang these victory songs so much that it got the world's attention. That in AD 112, Pliny, the governor of, a, of an area there in the Roman Empire, wrote to the emperor, Trajan, and said, what do I do about all of these Christians? They, it seems to be spreading like wildfire, and they are singing these hymns that once were to our gods, and now they are singing them to a man who was crucified. What are we to do about that? He did not understand that crucifixion for us was not a sign of defeat, but it was actually a sign of victory. I'm afraid that often we do not celebrate the victory of Jesus enough. I'm afraid that sometimes people walk into church almost hoarse 
because they've been celebrating so much on Friday night football and Saturday football that when they get to church, they're kind of like, Jesus paid it all. Like, that's all we got? Jesus Christ has come from heaven to earth to save sinners like you and me. He has rescued us. He's offered us forever eternal life with him in heaven with no suffering with no death with no cancer that is good news and worth celebrating amen and so let's come and let's celebrate let's bring our best energy and dads let me talk to you for a moment be the lead worshiper in your family celebrate because jesus is so much better than the things of this world we are to sing these victory songs psalms and these victory hymns and lastly we're to sing spiritual songs these are songs with a more personal component here's how a group called the worship initiative defines this they say a spiritual song would be a retelling would be retelling the grace mercies and miracles of god from the singer's point of view these songs would be more personal to who we are as individuals or specific communities and informed by how God has revealed himself in our lives. This is also a great example of the song we sang earlier of I sought the Lord and he answered a very personal thing. So we are to sing psalms, these victory songs, these hymns, and spiritual songs. Now I just want you to notice for a moment that even in the early church we were to sing a variety of different types of songs, which is just a moment to, to take and point out there are some times and some Sundays we're going to sing a song that doesn't particularly connect with you that's okay do you know why because God may be putting that song on your lips to work into your soul because you may need it later that week or maybe in six months I would imagine the average person sings the song it is well 50 times before it ever really takes root and means something in their lives that's why we're just singing a variety of songs so paul tells us the goal of worship to let the word dwell in us richly the audience of worship god and one another the content of worship psalms hymns and spiritual songs and lastly he tells us the attitude of worship the attitude of worship paul's going to tell us there's a connection between our gratitude and our singing we should sing with grateful hearts because god has blessed us so much but i'm afraid that we don't take enough time to reflect on how god has blessed us we don't stop we don't think about it and we don't cultivate a heart of gratitude this morning have you taken time today to intentionally be grateful to god for his blessings for what he's done for you in Christ, for the hope of heaven, for the people in your life, have you taken time to thank him this morning? Because you see, our praise is to be filled with an attitude of gratitude. And for a Christian, thanksgiving should not just be a once-a-year event. It should be a daily practice. And I want you to know why this is so important. Because the depth of your worship will never go deeper than the depth of your gratitude. The depth of your worship will never go deeper than the depth of your gratitude. And so Paul tells us to sing with gratitude in our hearts. So we see the goal of worship 
to get the word deeper into us. The audience singing to God and to one another. The content, psalm, hymns, and spiritual songs. And the attitude of worship, gratitude. This week, as I was thinking about this, I did a little research. And I looked up who were the most top-selling artists over the last 70 years. In the 1950s, it was this guy, you may probably never heard of him, his name was Elvis. In the 60s, uh, you know, kind of this unknown British band called the Beatles. Then in the 70s, you had Led Zeppelin. Then in the 80s, Michael Jackson. The 90s, a band called Nirvana. The 2000s, leading person was Beyonce, and then 2010s forward was Taylor Swift. But you know what, as I looked up all of those, and I noticed how music changes and different generations like different music, do you know what we don't have? A generation that has no music. Do you know why? Because we are a people designed in the image of God. We were designed to sing and to make music. That is who we are. And we are designed specifically to sing to God. You know, singing is an important part of the Christian life. It has great benefits to us. Even the secular world recognizes the benefits of singing. I came across an organization that had written an article on the benefits of singing. Not a Christian group. And here's what they said. They said, singing has a lot of benefits. Singing makes you feel better. Singing enhances lung function. So if you, if you have COPD, singing apparently helps. Singing helps you beat stress and relax. Singing helps you improve memory. Singing builds a sense of community. Singing lets you express yourself. Singing boosts your confidence. And singing leads to greater happiness. And I'm sure all of those are true. But what this secular article did not understand is that singing, particularly worship through singing, has a benefit that people often do not see. It's deeper than all of those things. Because here's what I want you to know, that the true benefit of worship through singing is it is how God intends to make you into the person he wants you to be. Because you see, worship through singing is a key ingredient to your spiritual growth. Here's what this means. You'll never become the person God wants you to be without singing. And we will never be the church that God wants us to be unless we're singing. And we should sing because he deserves our praise and he's commanded it 50 times in the scriptures because he knows it's a key ingredient to your spiritual growth and mind so let's be a singing people amen let's pray together father we thank you so much for this text that it teaches us so much about you and about what you want for us and how we are to grow in you father i want to take a moment to intentionally stop and focus and be grateful 
This morning, would you take a moment to thank the Lord for all of his blessings, his physical blessings, the relationships in your life? Would you just take a moment and thank him this morning? Would you take a moment to thank him for all that he's done for you in Jesus Christ? That he sent his son to die for you. That the son lived a perfect life, a sinless life. That he died a death that he did not deserve, but that you deserved. That he took your sin and paid for every one of them in full. Would you thank him that he defeated your sin and on the third day, Jesus came out of the grave? And would you thank him this morning for sending his Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin and to open your eyes to the glory of Jesus Christ? And this morning, would you thank him for all of the times he has been faithful in your life? Father, I pray that you will produce in us great gratitude for all that you have done for us. Father, we often take it for granted. But Father, you have loved us with a love that this world has never known. Thank you for that, Father. And I pray that you will press that into our hearts this morning. That we have a reason to be grateful. And because we have a reason to be grateful, we have a reason to sing. And Father, I pray that even as we sing in a few moments, we will do so because we know that Jesus Christ is risen and he deserves our praise. Father, I pray that you will work your truth from our lips into our souls. And I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, I would love to talk with you more about that now or at the Welcome Center after the service. If you're looking for a church home, I would love to talk with you more about joining our church. I'll be at the Welcome Center after the service and would love to talk with you more. But at this time, let's stand and respond the way Christians should by singing. <laughs>